0: Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another good week out there. Hope you guys are staying warm in this little cold snap we're having. Staying dry. We've been getting some rain. Hopefully it'll turn to snow here before too long so we can get some snowpack up in the mountains. Uh, looking back at the news this week, not a whole lot of news that I really care to uh, talk about that much. The Probably the biggest news that everybody is talking about all the time is that the Eagles won the, their game this weekend against the Denver Broncos. That was uh <clears throat> they didn't really blow them away, but they they had a pretty uh pretty good win over them, so that was good to see. And then also there's uh, the Rittenhouse trial is going on, and the prosecution has really messed up in that trial it sounds like. I mean, from watching the videos when it first came out, I don't really see how they could call Rittenhouse guilty and not call it self-defense but the prosecution um if they find him guilty it'll be amazing personally i don't think he should be found guilty uh we were talking i was talking with some people at work today about it though and they said they kind of agreed but they said you know the thing that he was guilty of is why was he there in the first place with a gun You know, those companies, um, even if they were to get looted, one guy said, you know, they've got insurance to cover that type of thing, so there really wasn't any need for him to be there, but, I mean, I don't know, I don't think he should be charged with murder, personally, and I think he was acting in self-defense, and um Fortunately for the defense, the prosecution has made their job pretty easy by messing up the way they have, and even the judge is upset with the prosecution. He's had to stop it a couple of times, I guess, and have a talk with the prosecuting attorney and uh, let him know how the courtroom is ran in his court, I guess, or something. But anyhow, that's pretty much all I have for the news this week. It's been kind kind of a slow week for me, I guess, and for the news, or for news that I care about anyhow. So this week we're going I think I'm going to get you a twofer again this week And the first thing we're going to talk about is Ben-Hur And this was a movie from 1959 Which it was a remake from a movie from 1925 Which was a silent movie Which was adapted from a novel that was written in 1880 So and if you don't I've I've never watched the movie personally all the way through And um, so I guess if you were living in a cave all these years You may not have ever heard of this movie But anyhow, let's get into the plot of this thing So, in the prologue of the movie There's a baby that's born in a cave And is visited by some magi And then the movie goes through the credits, I guess And it fast-forwards to A.D. 26 And now the main character is a wealthy prince And a merchant in Jerusalem Which, I'm not sure how he became a prince Since he was probably the they allude that he was probably the baby in the cave, but anyhow, he uh, he lives with his mom, and her name is Miriam, and he lives with his sister named Terza, and not sure where his dad is. He never really comes up in the movie. He's probably dead somewhere. But they have a slave named uh, Simonides, and he shows up with his daughter Esther. And Ben-Hur and Esther, they hadn't seen each other since they were children, and they end up falling in love and are betrothed to one another, which betrothed is just a fancy word for engaged. And then Ben-Hur's childhood friend shows up, and this guy, he's named Masala, and he's the commander of the fortress at Antonia, or the fortress of Antonia. And this was a fortress that was built by Herod the Great to protect the second temple, and it was named after Mark Antony. But anyhow, Masala, he's all about Rome and their imperial power, uh, while Ben-Hur, he cares about the Jewish people and their freedom. So they can't come to an agreement on their differences, and Masala gives him an ultimatum that he needs to hand over any potential rebels to the Roman authorities. So then it, from that, then it jumps up to a uh, they're having a parade for the new governor, and while the parade is going by, some loose tiles fall from Ben-Hur's house. And it scares the governor's horse and he gets bucked off And Masala, he knows this is an accident But seeing how he kind of holds a grudge against Ben-Hur at the time He sends him to the galleys And his, he has his mom and his sister put into prison And so basically this makes him a sl- slave on a ship And he ends up having to row So he goes from being a rich merchant to uh, being a slave on a ship and their slave simonidas he confronts masala about it about this and he's also ends up being in prison and so at this point ben-hur he vows revenge on him for you know all the atrocities that he's doing to his family and his friends and whatnot so they're marching them to the galleys and they stop in nazareth to water the horses and ben-hur he's begging for water to get himself some water and the commander he denies him to have any water and ben-hur ends up ends up collapsing but then Jesus comes by and gives him water and revives him. And the, all the ties into the biblical accounts and stuff, it's just, it's all fiction. Nothing of this is uh, true. But anyhow, he revives him. So he spends three years as a slave. And then he's appointed to work on the Roman flagship. And this was like the main ship in the Roman fleet. And they were given orders to go after a fleet of Macedonian pirates. And when they go out there, the ship he's on gets rammed and it begins to sink. And he ends up saving a bunch of the rowers from the ship. And he also saves the commander uh, who's named Quintus Arius. And the way he was able to save him, he wasn't chained to the ship like some of the other slaves. Uh, So he was able to get as many unhooked as possible. It seems that he'd kind of gained some favor on a short time on the ship so they didn't keep him chained up. But Arius, he thinks that they lost the battle, and he's going to uh, go out and fall on his sword, which I guess is something that they did back in those days if you lose. But Ben-Hur stops him, and after they're rescued, they find out that the the Roman army, actually, or the Roman uh, navy, actually did end up winning the war. So for saving his life, Arius convinces the emperor to adopt Ben-Hur as his son. So now he... Uh, living with this emperor and stuff he learns how to do the chariot racing and stuff like that and he becomes a champion charioteer. and he's headed back to judea and he's headed there for a big race that was going to go on and on his way he runs into some magi again and a sheik and the sheik had heard of how good of a racer he is and he wants him to drive his chariot in an upcoming race in judea but he declines even though he found out that masala would be competing so he gets back to Jerusalem and he finds Esther and he finds out that she's not married and she's basically uh, been waiting for him for these three years or whatever it was that he was gone. But his sister and his mother, uh, they had gotten leprosy and they were uh, while they were in prison and they were sent to a colony of lepers. But Esther, she didn't tell him that they had gotten leprosy and they'd been sent out there. Uh, they'd begged her not to tell him so that she told him that they were dead. And if she lied about this, what else is she lying about? Maybe she didn't really wait for him. Maybe she had uh, been married a whole bunch of times and killed off all of her husbands. So Ben better pay sleep with one eye open. But anyhow, back to the story. So he's mad, and uh, now he he's going to compete in the race because he's mad that uh, his mother and his sister had gotten killed, in, or what he believes uh, had gotten killed in prison. So during the race, Masala has a chariot with blades on the wheels. And he plans on taking out Ben-Hur's chariot with this. And his plan backfires and he ends up uh, wrecking and he gets trampled and ran, o- ran over. And he's dead at this point. But, or dying at this point, I guess. But before dying, he tells Ben-Hur where he can find his mom and his sister. And I bet it was a long, quiet walk back to the house for him and Esther after he'd been going along all this time with her fantasy story of her- them being dead. So he goes over to the leper colony and he finds his wife delivering goods to his mom and sister and she convinces him to not see them. She doesn't want him to go see them in the, the shape that they're in or whatever. So he ends up going back uh, after a while and he finds his mom and he learns that his sister is dying. And he takes them to see Jesus because everyone knows that he can heal them. But at this point Jesus' trial has begun And Jesus is carrying his cross through the streets. And he falls down. And Ben-Hur realizes that he had given him water years before. So he returns the favor. So he watches uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and Miriam. And Terza. uh, Or he watches the crucifixion of Jesus. And Miriam and Terza are miraculously healed. If you can't tell, I read this from a script, by the way. This doesn't all just come off the top of my head. So. Now you don't have to watch the show. I pretty much laid it all out for you. Um, Like I said, it is a big fiction story. Those stories about Jesus, although he was crucified and he had to carry his own cross and all that stuff uh, really was true, but most of uh, everything in here is fake. But this was a big deal. This show, it was a big deal back in the day, and it kind of still is because not too long ago, they did a remake of the remake of the adoption from the book. But the initial cost for this uh, movie, it was re- estimated around $7 million to produce, um, and it, but it did end up costing around $15.175 million, which made it the most expensive film up to the time. It was put out by MGM and actually saved the company from financial ruin. They were headed into some pretty dire straits, probably from over-exceeding their budget by $8 million. But the movie gained enough money that it saved that company from, uh, from having to file bankruptcy. And I'm not going to go into the director and the sound score and all that stuff uh, that went along with this show. There was a whole bunch of stuff about who directed it and all that other stuff. But they did, uh, while they were going through this movie and making this, they did have about uh, 12 versions of the script to cut down from the 550-page novel. Uh, They needed to cut it down into something that could be made into movie length. And the final script ended up being about 230 pages. They also, while they were making this movie, they had 50,000 people that would be extras in the show, uh, all in and around Rome. Uh, They needed them, you know, for extras for people to show up at the races and things like that. But there were only uh, 365 people that actually had speaking parts in the movie. And like one of the other movies we covered, Charlton Heston wasn't the first person to be thought of for the role there was actually a ton of big names that they were looking at. They were looking at Marlon Brando, Paul Newman, uh, Burt Lancaster, just to name a few of them. There's quite a list that they ended up uh, looking at for the show, but Charlton Heston ended up getting it. And additionally, the arena where the chariot races were held, it covered 18 acres and it was the largest film set ever built at the time. And it took about a th- or it took a thousand workers about a year to actually uh, create the whole chariot race place. And through the uh, making of the show, they ended up buying 78 horses that all had to be trained. And uh, they had to be gotten into peak physical condition because obviously the races were a real part of the show. And the horses, they said, were either Andalusian or or Lipazons, I guess. So once they were ready to release the film, uh, they ended up having a huge marketing campaign, kind of like uh, the Davy Crockett show that we had talked about earlier. They made children's tricycles in the shape of chariots. They came out with a perfume that probably smelled like dirt and horse shit. Uh, they also made ties, uh, all sorts of things that they could use to market this movie, pretty much anything they could think of. They made uh, ben her and Ben-Him towel sets for the show. But it all started to pay off, all the marketing and everything. And in the initial release, it made $33.6 million in North American theater rentals. It made 74.7 million in box office sales, and outside the U.S., it was around 32 million in rentals and 72 million in sales. And it was the fastest and highest-grossing film of 1959. It ended up being nominated for 12 Academy Awards, and it won 11 of them. And it also won three Golden Globe Awards. And to finish this off, the um, movie it was kind of an international success, obviously making that much worldwide but it was banned in China because remember that human trash heap uh, Mao Zedong that was running around over there? He said it had propaganda of superstitious beliefs, namely Christianity. And also, um, not in this filming of it, but in the 1925 filming, up to 150 horses were killed while they were doing the filming. And that's pretty much I'll leave you on that happy note, since we were pretty much in most everything with death. Um... We are going to jump right into the next part of the song Which is uh, just entitled Space Monkey And on this one uh, It's obviously about the monkeys that were sent into space Um, So uh, sending living animals uh, up into space It actually started in 1948 It wasn't until 1961 that a human actually went into space so they've been sending animals up there uh, quite a bit on test runs, I guess you might want to call it. But in 1959, there were two monkeys that actually went into space for a 15-minute flight, and they ended up returning alive. And their names were Abel, which was a rhesus monkey, and Miss Baker, which was a squirrel monkey. And like I said, there had been uh, many other non-successful flights previously, and they'd sent up everything in space, like monkeys, dogs, mice, uh, A whole slew of different animals, but none of them uh, ever made the full trip alive. Quite a few of the animals actually survived. The initial part of the trip was the part about getting into space, but coming back to Earth and landing successfully was the hard part. A lot died due to mechanical failures of the aircraft that they were in. Uh, It seemed like two or three of them that I read about in different places uh, said that the parachutes failed to open, so they had a pretty hard landing when they got back, Uh, but these two, everything seemed to work pretty good, they ended up coming back, but um, Abel died shortly after, during a medical procedure, to remove a metal electrode, and it must have been some electrode for some sort of data gathering, Uh, she ended up having a reaction to the anesthesia, and she died, and her body is now on display at the Smithsonian, which is kind of sad to think about. I mean, the monkey makes it all the way up into space, comes back, everything works out good, and then they're just doing a simple medical procedure, and she ends up uh, having a reaction to the anesthesia and dies. But uh, Miss Baker, the other monkey, she did end up living until 1984. She survived all the medical procedures that were done on her after the space flight, and she lived to the ripe old age of 27. And she ended up being buried at the United Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and that's kind of it on these two monkeys, uh, the first monkey to actually make it into what we call outer space now, it it was named Albert II, and he was one of those that met his end when his rocket met the ground without the parachute opening, but his flight, like I said, his flight was all the way back in 1949, so he was probably one of the very first animals that they tried to, uh, send up there, and... Personally, you know, I'm not really an animal rights activist, but if you get bored, you should look at the contraptions that they have on these monkeys when they send them off. Uh, I know they want to measure and record the data and things, but uh, they because they didn't know if the monkey was going to make it back or not. But they should just let them go out go out with a bang, you know, let them run around the cockpit and uh, push all the buttons and let the cults fall, let the cards fall where they may, because like I said, a lot of the monkeys didn't make it out alive and they should have been able to enjoy their last uh, last little bit while they had a chance. So anyhow, that's pretty much it for these two episodes. Uh, we'll come back. Um, hopefully, I think next week is going to be a pretty bit uh, longer one. There's kind of a lot that uh, ties into that one. But then again, I go through these rather quickly, so uh, maybe not. You'll just have to come back next week and find out. But until then, go out there and uh, follow me on Facebook at the Podcast from P-Town Facebook group. Or you can follow me on Instagram at P-Town Podcast. Or you can send me an email at P-Town Podcast 74 at gmail.com. That's it for this one. We will see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot.